The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Good morning, good morning. How you guys doing? Today is a special day, and it's because we have a, a friend who is going to speak to us today. Um, he is a, a brother of ours. He is a, a confidant um, of Octavio. Um, these guys talk every week, and uh, he's spoken here before, so please give a warm welcome to our good friend, Goody. Hey, it's great to see everybody. Won't you join me in thanking Nick and the, the team for leading us this morning? Great job. Well, uh, greetings from Redondo Beach, California. You guys know where that is? South here, a long way from here. Uh, if this was the weekday, I probably wouldn't have made it as quickly. And uh, it takes a lot of gas to get from where I live to here. So I'm going to have a little can, a little cup. <laughs> or if you notice me on the corner, I'll have the sign that says, we'll work for gas or something like that. It's great to see everybody. If you're joining us to, today for the first time, we want to say welcome. And uh, we are in a series entitled Kings. And the last several weeks, we began this series with the understanding of uh, just not having a conversation about the history of the people of Israel, because we actually think that some of the lessons that were seen in the lives of these individuals are apropos for us today, are relevant for us today. You may never lead a nation. You may never have an army to command. You may never uh, be able to marshal as much resources as some of these individuals have. But you and I will be, perhaps, more than likely, entrusted with maybe something significant. Maybe we will be entrusted to make a decision. Maybe uh, our decisions will make the difference for the lives of someone else. We, unfortunately, probably will make mistakes. And how we recover, how we respond from those mistakes, how we treat others, all of these things are relevant for our hearing today. And they were really something that a lot of these individuals who led the people of Israel face with every day. Our first week where we were in the South Bay, and I think Octavia and I were pretty much parallel, but I know we looked at the life and the person of Saul as well as David. These were two of the, the first two kings, leaders of the nation of Israel. The people of Israel, for the most part, for the most of their history, leading up until the time we will talk about today, were led by God. They were what we call a theocracy. In other words, led by the very supreme being of the world. And there came a point in time, the people said to Samuel, who was this sort of mouthpiece for God, he was God's ambassador, he was God's representative. The scripture says that the people were reluctant, they were fearful of Samuel now departing off the scene. They said, we don't trust your sons, the people who are coming after you to take your place. We wanna be like other nations. We wanna be led by a king. And the scripture says that Samuel took that with great uh, uh, displeasure, and he took it personally, and God told Samuel, listen, they have not rejected you, they've actually rejected me. But really what the people of Israel were saying is this, that we don't trust you, God, because ultimately, that's who they were led by. And so sure enough, in the scriptures, in Deuteronomy, which is in the Old Testament, we actually see it was foretold, in other words, it was predicted, that when you were to choose to go this way, to be led by a king, that a number of bad things will happen. 
Everything from the taking of many wives to uh, taking of your resources to just literally going away that is not consistent with the principles of God. Isn't it strange how oftentimes we actually will know the detriment, we actually know the adverse effect of our decisions, and yet we choose to go that way anyway? That's amazing. And so the people of Israel just said, basically, yep, we know that's going to happen, but we still choose to be led by a king. They were basically looking on the other side, if you will, of the grass where the green grass appeared to be green, and they chose to be like others. I often tell the people, sometimes when you're looking somewhere else and the grass appears to be green on the other side, it's actually astroturf. <laughs> and when you fall on the grass, you know, natural grass, you hit stains and you get up and you're fine. But when you fall on astroturf, you tend to leave something called skin. I played football many years ago, and uh, one of the teams we played against was the University of Hawaii. And I remember traveling there two, three years to play, and I remember falling on that turf. And that was over 20-something years ago. You know, today I'm still left with some of the effects of that whole game experience, those two game experiences, because I fell on the turf, and there are signs of my pain, literally. And so there are signs for the people of Israel's pain. They chose to be led by a king. And the scripture goes on to say that the first person that was chosen was a guy by the name of Saul. The scripture says the second person was a guy by the name of David. Interesting enough, just a quick summary for these two people. Both were extremely talented individuals. They were praised by other people. They had the military expertise, the military might. They were shrewd. They were good looking. And they both made egregious mistakes. They chose to live selfish lives at one point in time in their life. Both were either guilty of committing a, a murder or attempted murder. The scripture says that Saul was literally tormented by, uh, by his own conscience. He had to actually have David soothe him with music and song. And the scripture says that both of these men chose to live a life at some point in time that brought not God honor, but dishonor. And interesting enough, though, it's even in our history today, you can't have a gathering started without maybe the name or person of David having some influence in a gathering. Two sentences define these two individuals, and I think it's extraordinary, interesting. The first about Saul says these words in the scriptures, and God greatly regretted having made Saul king. What does it look like for the God of the universe to greatly regret you or something about you. Another statement that defines David's life, and it basically says these words, that David was known after a, to be a, a man after God's own heart. Both men were flawed. Both men had great successes, but two diverse, two extremely opposite sort of one sentences, if you will, summarizes their lives. What is the difference between these two individuals? You know, I've been a part of uh, a community of faith for now 20-something years, and this is pretty much what I've done all my life. And it wasn't until about two weeks ago that I realized maybe in my own little understanding what could be the difference between these two individuals. And, you know, Saul never said thank you. Both were ascended to the throne of Israel to lead the people of Israel by God through a prophet, through an ambassador, through a mouthpiece, if you will. You know, Saul never said thank you. And I can't help but think, do we ever say thank you? There's a lot to complain about, right? There's a lot that do doesn't go right in our lives. 
I mean, if we had a dime for everything that we can enumerate that is wrong about our life, we'd be rich. But I said, for all of us here, today is uh, indicative of the fact that we have something that so many people don't. We have another chance. God greatly regretted having made Saul king. The third person who led the people of Israel was a man by the name of Solomon, and that's whose life we're going to examine briefly today. The scripture says that Solomon was considered the wisest man in all of the earth. In fact, no one who lived and or whoever will live has so much as the same wisdom as this person of Solomon. Responsible for writing about 3,000 proverbs, 1,000 songs. The scripture says that Solomon had such splendor about him. He had a radiance about himself in terms of all the stuff he had accumulated. It was mind-boggling. Listen, before Cribs was a show, Solomon was like Cribs. <laughs> he had it all, the bling-bling and the blah-blah. This was Solomon. He was a diplomat. He was the collector of art. Solomon knew everything from plant life to animal life. And people admired him. In fact, the scripture says that people would literally travel. In one instance, the queen of Sheba traveled. People would travel distances just to hear wisdom come from this guy's mouth. He was an extraordinary individual. Can you imagine being the father, or excuse me, the son of David? Israel's second king, you are succeeding David, who is this person who is loved by all, who is celebrated in the history of Israel. And so now you, Solomon, are coming on the scene. And listen to these words. I just want to read a couple of words to you. This is David, who is now about to check out. He's about to leave. He is now passing on the leadership mantle to Solomon, his son. It's taken from second, excuse me, from first Kings, the second chapter. I just want to read a couple of verses here, and then we'll go to the main Focus. In chapter 2, it says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon. I love the way another translation says, it says, when the time drew near, or it came time for David to go the way of all the earth. I love that. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He said, so be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways, Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and whatever, wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. Quote, this was God's promise to David, now having direct impact or relations to Solomon. If your descendants, this would be Solomon, watch how they live. And if they walk faithfully before me, with all their heart and soul, you will f- never fail to have a man or person on the throne of Israel. Translation, listen. David said, I'm about to go and um, I won't be around much longer. But I want to pass on something very important to you. And I find it very interesting that of all the things he could have given his son, David too was a man of great wealth and great resources. And I think about uh, even for some of us who are parents, all the things we desire to pass on maybe to our kids or to other family members, the one thing that David seeks to pass on in this sort of transition moment, the moment in the life of the people of Israel, in his own life, he passes on the importance of following the way of the Lord, God's principles. He says, listen, this, 
there is a thing about your life that you need to know. You're going to face extraordinary challenges. You're going to face a mountain of choices. The one thing I want to leave you with is that I think there's actually a playbook, or some instructions for which I think you ought to live your life, and it's taken from the scriptures. I have a, I have a little SUV, and uh, it was given to me as a gift. I'm very, very fortunate, and I've had it just a couple years, and it's not the car that I want, but, you know, we can talk afterwards about the car that I really want. <laughs> but I'm so grateful, one, I don't have a car payment. Anybody grateful that they don't have a car payment? Like, amen. Yes, right. But the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, I, every, every now and then I get this light that comes on. And I can't quite figure it out. Those of you who are mechanic, it looks like a little, it looks, it's like, it looks like a little engine or a little something with a wheel in it. I'm not very mechanically inclined. I know it's not normal. It comes on. And it's yellow. And it stays solid at times. You know, though, I haven't taken the time to find out what the light means. And so a couple of weeks ago, I went on the Internet and uh, I looked online for a Mazda dealer. You know, there's not a Mazda dealer within 30 miles where I live. Crazy. If you work for Mazda, you cannot be a happy camper. You can't be. Do you like like have one office or something like where? And so I thought to myself, I, I, I just this is too far to travel to try to figure out why this light. And because for me, it's like, it's important, but I just figure, I guess it's not too important because my car hasn't stopped running yet. <laughs> but every once in a while, I'm on the freeway like this morning, and the light comes on. And I thought to myself, wouldn't this be a trip? Like my car like stops running and stuff, Octavia's out of the country. I have no uh, email access. Our Blackberries are down. All of Mosaic is down this morning. We, do, we moved into new office, in our new offices, and so our servers are down. And so I would have no opportunity to communicate to the volunteer staff here that I couldn't make it. And I start thinking about all the things that could go wrong, all because I fail to adhere to this light, to this glaring warning, to this instruction. You know, Mazda is made by this particular this car rather I have is made by Mazda, this dealer. And when that light comes on, the thought never occurs to me to go to someone else. And that should be the case. I mean, if you had a Lexus or a Porsche or a Mazda, you wouldn't go to a Hyundai dealer to get it figured out. The instruction manual was very specific. And the, only the creator of the thing can give you the answers you need to solve the problem. And you know what? No matter how far the distance is, it's worth the travel. And so it is true for us in the scriptures. It's God's instruction manual. And sometimes I think we just think it's too far to go. Not for David to his conversation with Solomon. He says, listen, you have to take a moment to read this. They're going to become these, glare, these glaring lights, warning signs. They're going to be flashing throughout your life. You must take a moment to read, to examine the scriptures, to learn the ways of God. And I wonder for us, what does that look like? Is that something we're willing to do? Or do we just continue on the life, the highway of life, hoping that our car never runs out, that it always functions? We're all in transition moments, or we will be, won't we? Maybe for you it's a relationship. 
Maybe it's a career choice. Maybe it's a, I met a, a gentleman who here today who moved here from Kentucky and he's been here maybe a year or so. Trans, talk about transition, Kentucky. Oh, the Whittier, man, that's a transition. We're all in those moments where we, don't you wish when you came in on a new job or maybe you came into a school, of course, maybe at a new job, people will tell you this is what your responsibility will be. You're required to move this microphone from here to there every day for eight hours a day. Whatever the instruction is for your job. Maybe, I hope that's not anyone's job, by the way. That would be like, not. But most of us are given the, the instructions on what to do, Right? That's all part of this transition that we may be facing, a new role, a new job. But very few of us are given instructions on how to do that with the texture, with the very essence of our being. And that's what David was giving Solomon. He wasn't just telling him, listen, this is how you are to be a king, function. He basically said, listen, I can't give you answers to everything, but I can give you the person for whom you are to rely on. Because there's a texture to your life in terms of how you are to lead the people of Israel. And David says, you will need wisdom. And for that, I can't get that. You can't get that in a manual. You can't get that in some self-help book. You have to examine the person and the life of God to get that. And so he charges him to do just that. And so Solomon now is the leader of Israel. The scripture says he is the person in this transition moment. And unfortunately, if Solomon had a theme about his life, it would be this. The life that could have been. You know anybody with extraordinary talent and you just look at them, you see them maybe every once in a while. Maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's you. When you examine the totality of their life, the first thought that comes to mind is, man, could have been. I have people like that in my life. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles in the inner city of Compton, California, and there were individuals who were far more talented than I, had extraordinary gifts and resources. But for a series of destructive choices, they never achieved or re reached their fullest redemptive potential. And so if there was a glaring theme that would sum up Solomon's life, unfortunately, I think it would be the life that could have been. The life that could have been. And do you know this? That wisdom is never enough. It's never enough. It's, it's, it's not enough just to know what to do. It's not enough just to know where to go, maybe to find direction. We have to be willing to apply that which we have come to know. And I think that's the difference between Solomon and, and others who sought to live for the person of God. We have to be willing to apply that. We have to be willing to move forward in that. There are a couple points I want to bring out in your hearing today. I want to start and turn with me to the third chapter of 1 Kings. I just want to read a few verses here about the person of Solomon. Third chapter, 1 Kings. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. By the way, David, Solomon's father, wanted to build a temple. 
And God actually told David, no, I'm not going to let you live to do that. In fact, I don't want my house of dwelling, my temple to be built by a warrior. God says, I will have no bloodshed be uh, a person with bloodshed on their hands, be the person responsible for building. He, in fact, says your son would do it. And so Solomon is given a chance to build this amazing temple. The scripture says it had such detail, like in fact, uh, stones were not hammered out. They were cut out very specifically for every aspect of the foundation. It says that the workload uh, increased something like three times. Solomon literally, basically, this is before unions, by the way. And he hired a lot of people to pull off this amazing, amazing edifice. I don't have time to read about it, but... It says, the people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. And Solomon showed his love for the Lord, listen to this, by walking according to the statues of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. I'll get to that in a moment. Verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on, the, on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and, and God said, quote, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine that? I mean, the God who created everything. I mean, what would, you, what would, you, what would, your, what would your list consist of? Okay, maybe, maybe, let's reduce it to one. Like, what would it, Listen, I just got an iPad three weeks ago, and I'm stoked. I'm like totally giddy. What would your one thing be? God says, you know, you're going to have anything. What would it be? No, come on, don't be all self-righteous, all spiritual and everything. What, like, what would it be? Tell me, tell me, tell me, let me hear from you. What would it be? What would your one thing be? Big house. A big house. Come on, keep it real. I love that. Big house. What would it be? Horse. You want a horse? Oh, my daughter, she loves horses. She, she loves horses. She, hers would be a horse, yeah. What would your one thing be? A Porsche. Oh, nice. Now, I can, you know what? Your hair, I have hair envy looking at you. Your hair would just flow with the top down. I can totally, black. Black is your color. So he says, ask me whatever you will. And so verse 6, Solomon answered, you have shown me, shown great kindness to your servant. That's me. My father David, because he was faithfully, excuse me, he was referring to his father. My father, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne. He was affirmed to himself. Verse seven, listen. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father, David. You've put me here. This is amazing. But I'm only a little child. I'm very young. And I do not know how to carry out my duties, my responsibilities. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. I love that. Remember, that goes not back to the function of my job, right? I just don't want to learn how to do this. But give me a discerning heart of how to lead your people. There's a texture to leading your people that I don't know how to do. And I need that. Love that. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, a Porsche, <laughs> nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering and administering justice. 
I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk, here it is. So God says, I'm going to give you this. Okay, here it is. This comes with a qualifying statement, though. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke and realized he had been a dream. When I was young, there was a show called Let's Make a Deal. Now, I'm old, but my adult people, particularly those of your parents, you guys remember that show? The host was a guy named uh, Monty Hall, and it was a show where people would like get all dressed up in like crazy outfits and stuff, kind of like you guys are here this morning, like crazy outfits. And they would, the weirdest outfit it seems would get the most attention, but they also would be the person that would be called up. And basically, the show was this: there would be three choices: door number one, door number two, and door number three. And then there would be something that the host would have in his hand. And he would go back and forth with this individual who was called from the audience, and he would say, listen, you can have this can of pork, pork and beans right now. You can walk away from the show with a large can of pork and beans, or you can give up these pork and beans and choose what's behind door number one, door number two, door number three. And then people from the audience will yell, door number one! Once again, people from the audience will yell, door number one! And then this section would be like, door number two. And they would be like, door number three. And then somebody over there would say, take the beans, honey, run, run. (laughs) And inevitably, they would make a choice. And oftentimes, they would maybe choose what was behind a door. And it paled in comparison to what they had in their hands. So God gives Solomon this extraordinary choice. But when God makes a promise, It's not by chance. It's not a chance. It's not a wish. It's something more profound than that. The scripture says, He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all of his court. Basically, he threw a really big party. The scripture goes on to say that early on in Solomon's reign, he demonstrated extraordinary wisdom, that which he was given by God. In fact, there was a dispute between two women. They both had a child. One of the infants died in their sleep, and the mother of that child arose while the other mother was sleeping with her infant who was alive and switched babies. And the scripture says when the mother awoke with the child next to her, she realized that her child was dead, but she also knew it wasn't her child. And she basically said, this woman here switched her child with me. The scripture says they both came before the king. Interesting enough, they even have access to the king was an amazing insight here. I think the fact that Solomon would be available for this conversation is one thing. The scripture says that Solomon called for a young man to bring him a sword. When he couldn't settle the dispute between the two women, he couldn't figure out whose child it was. Solomon said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll cut the infant in two. And just before that was about to happen, the mother of that infant, the one that was alive, who the mom was trying to pass over the deceased infant, she says, no, no, allow the child to live. And Solomon knew that the love that this mother had for life itself meant that she was the true mother. And the people were amazed at this wisdom. 
And I mentioned earlier that people would travel from afar to see about this person, Solomon. But then there's two glaring things I want to bring to your attention that points out to Solomon's demise. The first is this. Solomon was impaired by unhealthy relationships. Unhealthy relationships, I think, are the biggest Achilles heel for most of us in life. You know, when we're dealing with transitions in our life, when we're dealing with maybe uh, great, enormous opportunities being handed off to us, or maybe we've been elevated to a new role of responsibility, or maybe we walked into a whole new situation, I think the glaring number one thing we have to keep in mind is how we align ourselves with the people around us matters a great deal. I hate to break the news to you, everyone who's around you does not have your best interest at heart. It's once said that if you were to tell me your five friends, the people you spend the most time with, Facebook with, tweet, twatter with, whatever, text with, tell me the five people you spend the most of your time with and I can tell you what your future looks like. I think the glaring Achilles heel for the person of Solomon was the relationships that he had around him. And we know this right before he has this conversation with God about wisdom. I read over it, but let's go back to it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married who? His daughter. This was a big no-no. Huge no-no. Solomon made... Glaring error here, a glaring error. Here's why. God had given explicit instructions not to intermarry, let alone to take up multiple wives to the king of Israel, and he violated both. Quick reference in chapter 11 of that same book, 1 Kings, it said, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Sidonites and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, listen, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Listen, God wasn't tripping about interracial marriage. I'm interracially married. That's not what he was saying. It wasn't about black and white. He was saying, you're going to hook up and align yourself in a relationship with someone that does not honor me. They're living by a different playbook. You're driving a Mazda. They drive a Hyundai. In fact, they don't have a car at all. They are on a bike. You are aligning yourself in a relationship that is unhealthy. And the scripture says that Solomon was more in tune, he was more in drenched, he was more obs- sort of obser- uh, uh, sort of influxed in or infused by the relationship he had with these women, with those marriages, than he was with God. And I can't help but think. Yeah, let's take it with the issue of intimacy first. Some of us are in relationships that probably we shouldn't be. Here's a telltale sign that that is the case for you. Does the person move you closer to God or further away? You know what? I aspire to be like my wife. I know that sounds odd from a a man, but my wife has an amazing relationship with God. One of the things that impressed me most with my wife, yes, she looked amazing from across the room. Eyes caught each other. 
background music. In a, but what impressed me most, my wife, she was leading a, a Bible study. She was mentoring three or four other women. She was serving actively in a church. She had left uh, the plush sort of comfort of her uh, uh, suburban area of living and had gone into the inner city of East Oakland to serve the needs of people in poverty. She was so extraordinary. In fact, before my wife asked me out, which is a true story, she asked me out. You know what my wife did? She gathered up a couple of her roommates and they actually had a couple of days of prayer and said, hey, you know, we want to just pray for Lucy because she's about to ask this guy out and she doesn't know much about him and he could be like a crazy, crazy. She actually did that. True story. I thought to myself, that's it. A lot of us, we're, we're so desiring to be in a relationship. When in actuality, the question we should be asking is, where am I in my relationship with you? And oh, by the way, the biggest thing is where they're in a relationship with you. And the second thing would be, what's their credit score? I mean, that's kind of important, too. If I, if I got, you got to love Jesus, but what's your credit score? Can, you, can a brother buy a house? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, do you, got, do you got insurance? I tell women all the time, here's how you know. If the guy is the one you're hanging with, the one you can marry, if your car broke down tomorrow, if you got sick, <laughs> does he have insurance? Or does he, does he, do you have to call dad? Yeah. Yeah, see, it's not all about, is he, does he love Jesus? Can, can a brother pay a phone bill? <laughs> Impaired by unhealthy relationships. The scripture says these words. Look at Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 25. Turn with me real quickly. Interesting enough, because I mentioned that a lot of these Proverbs come from Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth. It says these words, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death or destruction. From a distance, that relationship appears to be right. But Solomon says the closer you get to, you discover that your dream really is a nightmare on Elm Street. That the person maybe you desire to be with is not all that. Well, let's take it out of intimacy for a moment. Let's just deal with people you just kick it with. Homies, girlfriends, boyfriends, you just chill with. Solomon says, listen, basically, it may appear that they are people of great character and nobility and generosity. The things that reflect my person best. But when you do a closer examination, discover that they're not an asset to you. They're, in fact, they're a liability. I call it the elevator test. You ever notice this when you're at an office building or something, and there's an elevator, you're waiting, maybe you're at the LAX or something, maybe you're in a hotel, and you punch a button, and you want to go up. You're on the second floor, first floor. You want to go up. And you punch a button, and you realize that maybe someone comes along, and they want to go down. Or maybe you're on the elevator, and you're on your way up, and the person who is waiting on the elevator, as the door is open, they want to go down. They don't want to go up. And in that moment, there's like that moment. Like it's like either they get on and take you down or they wait because ultimately they want to go down where you're going where? Up. And so it is for us in life. We, in that moment, choosing our friends, the people we associate with, our elevator quote is on its way up in life. Up. I want to make good choices. I want to honor God. 
I want to serve faithfully in a community of faith. I want to give to the work and the ministry to advance God's message for it. I want to make wise choices. I want to be a woman of great virtue. I want to be a man of great character. I want my yes to be yes. I want to treat people with honor and dignity. I want people to be able to trust me. I want people to, to entrust me. I want my character to be the glaring thing that comes from my life. Not just my looks, not just my clothes, but I want people to know that they can trust me. And in order to do that, I have to surround myself with good people. I tell it all the time to my son and daughter. I have a seven-year-old. Lil has met them, and, and Hannah is nine. And one of the things that we tell our p- kids every day before they leave, two things. One, be good soil. The second, make good choices today. I think one of the things that help you most in both is that you have healthy relationships. Some of us today, not tomorrow, need to end relationships that we're in. Yeah. See, I'm going back to Redondo, and whether you like it or not, and I'm just decided to be blatantly honest with you. The person you're with, the person you spend most of your time with, is not more interested in bringing you closer to God than I am being an astronaut. And for Solomon, he got it wrong. But we're here today, and we had a chance to make it right. Unhealthy relationships. A second one, only two. Entangled with stuff. Yeah. You you know, I mentioned Solomon's splendor. Solomon was about stuff. Great detail. The scriptures talks about how he lavished his life and surroundings with stuff. First Kings chapter four. Turn with me to First Kings chapter four, real quick, real quickly. There, First Kings chapter four, verse twenty, right there. The people of Judah, First Kings chapter four, and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. Listen, listen. Verse twenty-one. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects in all of his life. Solomon's daily provisions—that's what it costs to maintain Solomon's like welfare, his surroundings. This is how Solomon rode. This was like his caravan. His he had he had Dayton's with spinners. He had a Denali. He had like a he had like a summer home, a winter home. He had a, he. Solomon had it going. Listen to this. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer and gazelles and roebucks and choice fowl, for he ruled over all the kings west of the river. It goes on and on and on. Solomon had 4,000 stalls, verse 26, for his chariot horses and 12,000 horses. It goes on. The scripture says that Solomon spent seven years building the temple for God, which was a really cool thing with such great detail. But he spent 13 years building his own palace. Here's a glaring test for you. If you spend more time focused on your stuff than God's stuff, chances are your God is stuff. Yeah. I'm, I tend to be materialistic at times. 
And there's nothing wrong with having great things. One of the great misnomers about being a follower of Jesus is that we give a vow of poverty, which is just simply not true. Look, I grew up poor. Uh, that was not one of the sign-offs when I became a follower of Jesus. I already experienced that life. But I do think it's about perspective. A friend of mine told me one time, he said, I can tell your priority with respect to your relationship with God by looking at your checkbook. Do we get as excited to support the work and the, the ministry of Jesus as we do writing a check to buy an iPad or to buy a new car or to buy a new line of clothing or to drop some serious cash on a movie that has come out that weekend? We become entangled by stuff. We place more values in the things we can purchase from our pockets than the character we can develop in our hearts. You know, everything comes at a cost. Solomon kept up this lifestyle, but you know what it meant? It meant that the people were overtaxed and were overworked. It goes on to say in later chapters that Solomon, he too died, and that his son, who became the next king, the fourth king, Rehoboam, he became the next king, one of the first things that happened to him was a revolt from the people of Israel. Do you know why? One of the first questions that came before his leadership and when he was on the throne succeeding Solomon, we are taxed too much and we're working too hard. And the scripture says that the kingdom became divided. Sometimes your choices to be all about your stuff, the consequences are innumerable. They have lasting impact. And the scripture says Solomon was so consumed with stuff that I actually think it impeded his relationship with God. In the New Testament scriptures, the apostle Paul, who was responsible for writing about two-thirds of that New Testament, the New Testament passages, he said it this way. He said, if the message we preach or teach or talk about with regard to our faith in Jesus Christ, if it can't be seen, he says, if the message we preach cannot be seen, it's because the God of this age has blinded the minds of people. What he's saying there is stuff can skew your vision about who Jesus is. This is not a message against the accumulation of things, but it is a conversation about the most important things. Like serving. Like giving. Like investing. Like giving of your time. Your talent. friend of mine who actually produces our gathering for the South Bay. She came over last night. My wife and I wanted to say goodbye to her. She was going on a trip and we'd gotten her a gift card. She was, it was her birthday last week and she says, Goody, my father guilt tripped me and my sister, my sister and I and said basically he had never experienced a trip with his daughters just to hang out. And she talked about she's a lawyer now working in the inner city. She could have totally taken the corporate route, but she's literally giving of her life in the inner city. She's Asian-American, and she says, Goody, my sister and I decided to spoil our dad. And she says, we're going to go on a cruise. She left this morning to Alaska for seven days. And just back there between songs, I was so moved by, I, I can't remember the third song, but I just texted her a note, and I told her, um, Sarah, uh, enjoy yourself. I have a healthy envy of you. You're getting to do something that I never got to do. 
See, I never had a dad, never had a father who acknowledged me that I could even spend time with, let alone take on a trip. And I thought to myself, how can you put a value on that? That's not about stuff. That has a depth and a texture that you can't find purchased on a shelf in a store. And Solomon, he had it wrong. He had his priorities wrong. Stuff. Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament, verse 2 says, Set your mind on things above in heaven. Basically means this, listen, it's not that we shouldn't like stuff, desire stuff. He says, but listen, there ought to be a priority to your life. And the thing first on your list should not be the stuff. It should be the significant things. I close with this. First Kings chapter 8. Remember I talked about Solomon building this temple, which is really cool. It's really extraordinary. He gave a dedication prayer. Basically, he was complete with this work and basically invited God to, to be honored. Listen to this prayer. Verse 56 of chapter 8. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Talking about the history of the people. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us. Love that. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, he says, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, not the stuff, and that there is no other, not the stuff. May your hearts, but, but your hearts must be fully, listen to this, but your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands. Listen, all of the preceding verse or sentences before that last was directed towards God. Think about it. Go back. Praise the Lord who has given us the rest of his people of Israel. Now one word has failed. You've kept your word, God. Verse 57, may the Lord our God be with us. Verse 58, may he turn our hearts toward him to walk in his ways and may these words of mine, now it comes personal. And then he closes with this last verse in 61. May your hearts, in other words, he's speaking now, not to God, but to the people and to himself. May your hearts, but your hearts must be fully committed, rather, to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Love that. Isn't it interesting? We, can, we have little trouble saying what needs to be done in the lives of others, but we often struggle to make it applicable in our own lives. Solomon is dedicating a building. He's dedicating this place where the presence of God would dwell. But I'd like to, for us to do something. Maybe a little awkward. Uh, can I get uh, 
Can I get our, our music team to come back real quickly? I know I didn't tell you guys this uh, ahead of time. Just come back. I want you to do that third song, the third song. Come quickly. I'm going to read that prayer again. But when you hear it, I don't want you to think about this building because this is our temple. This is our place of worship where we gather. But in the New Testament, the word temple actually refers to not to a building, but to our person. So I'd like for you to do something with me. I'm not going to make you feel awkward, but when you see this prayer, when you hear this prayer, I want you to maybe consider dedicating your person, every aspect of your life, my finances, my relationships, my conversation, my career choice, my, my, my decisions I need to make about life. I want to dedicate and may God, may everything about me be about you. May I not get consumed with stuff. May I not be entangled by the wrong relationships. I want to dedicate my life to you. I'll read it again and then uh, I'd like that, that song to be played just for a moment of reflection and then I'll come back and pray. I'll read it again here. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promise he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. And may he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he had give our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people. Listen, Israel, according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Last verse. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. I want to pray here, and then, uh, and then let's listen to this song. We can sing along, but uh, maybe sing it with a different meaning. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today, and, and God, we want to just acknowledge you in this moment, in this space, in this time. Uh, God, the person in the life of Solomon has taught us much in just these brief moments. By God, the glaring truth, if we're honest, is there are some things that we dare not seek to duplicate about his life. Like us, God, he was not a perfect man. But God, uh, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in the ways how we may pursue your perfect love and grace and person and purpose for our life. God, will you accept the dedication of our temple? Not this building, but our lives. May we be committed to you. May we turn our hearts to you for this moment and this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.